Good morning. I'll try that one more time. Good morning. Oh, there it is. Uh, for those that don't know, I'm Pastor Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. Of course, half the pastors here are named Mark, so uh, that doesn't really clear anything up for you. Uh, but we want to wish you a very happy Mother's Day to the ladies in attendance here. Uh, I hope your day has been wonderful so far or have wonderful plans uh, in the afternoon. Uh, because as we read in God's Word, uh, Proverbs 23, 25 says, Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. And Proverbs 31, verses 28 and 29 says, Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Uh, and I know Mother's Day can be sort of one of those difficult days for many people uh, and many women, but uh, that shouldn't stop us just from rejoicing and celebrating those, those women of excellence, those women of character uh, that we have in our lives that mean so much to us. Uh, so after the service, we have a gift uh, for all of the ladies here this morning. It's not just to the moms, it's to all the women here, just to say thank you uh, for your godly example in our lives. Uh, we also have a couple of announcements this morning. If you want to open up your bulletin, I'll just make note of a couple of those. Uh, next week, immediately following church, May fifteenth, uh, we're going to have a light fellow. We're going to have a fellowship time. We're going to serve a light lunch, but it's also going to serve as a family matters meeting. Uh, and we're just actually we're just going to. It's just a talk. We just want a couple of matters. We just want to discuss as a church as we look for discernment. So there'll be no voting or anything like that at this time. It's just us going to sort of introduce a couple things we need to begin talking about as a church. So we just want to invite you to that. Um, also this Wednesday uh, at 2 p.m., there is the Joy Tea. For those who are over 50, uh, invite you to that as well. You can bring out a friend. Uh, that's going to be an exciting time. For those who may be interested in baptism or membership, uh, we're going to have a baptism service at the end of May. Uh, if you're interested uh, in either baptism or membership or just even talking about what some of those things are like, you can talk to myself, you can talk to uh, the other pastor, Mark, Mark B., uh, and we'll be holding a class uh, for you to find out more on Sunday mornings for the next few weeks. We also have the Who's Coming to Dinner or Dessert uh, event. It's going to happen on June 3rd. Uh, it's just one of these ministry opportunities uh, just to help people get together, help you to meet even some new people. Uh, if you're interested in it, uh, there's a sign-up sheet uh, sort of by the church office there. Uh, you can sign up either to be uh, a host or a, a, a guest at one of these events. You can also, there's a QR code in the bulletin you can scan if you want to sign up that way. But the host provides the food, the guest provides the appetite, and uh, on that day, we just show up at a house and get to know each other. So if you want more details, uh, again, Mark Barrett, or you can talk to Marlene for more information. Uh, encourage you just to read through your bulletins on your own time as well. There's more stuff in there. There's lots of announcements this week. Uh, so just take your time. Uh, just inform yourself on some of the things going on at our church. Uh, but before we do that, condolences also to Madeline. Uh, Madeline S., she's uh, just recently, in very short time, lost two of her brothers. Uh, so we want to just keep her in our prayers as well. Uh, but before we pray and before we dismiss the kids, uh, I want to invite Lorraine up. Um, she's a guest with us this morning on behalf of Refugee Bridge. Uh, we had Bob and Beth who are here again this morning. Uh, last week they shared about the ministry of Refugee Bridge. And actually we put it on the bulletin on the front of the bulletin. Uh, Refugee Bridge is a ministry working together to build a bridge to a new home for families fleeing persecution. 
And just as a church, we started asking that question, is there anything that we can do uh, to help these Christian families that find themselves in need and are often fleeing from very dangerous circumstances? And there's an opportunity that has come up. It's available to us to help out a family right now who's, who's coming to here uh, from the Ukraine. Uh, so we've asked just a couple of people to share, and Lorraine was one of them. Uh, just sharing this morning from the perspective of being a host, among other things. And then she'll be blessing us with a song a little later as well. But yeah, welcome. I look forward to hearing what you have to share. Good morning. I'm usually the one that sings and doesn't speak, so this is um, going to be a test of God's faithfulness to me that I have to actually just speak to you. So, have you ever heard of a God wink? Anybody? Couple. <laughs> um, they're those things that the world calls coincidences, but. I don't think they're really coincidences. I believe they're actually God. I think they're his way of showing us that he's present with us, that he hears us, um, that he's speaking to us, and sometimes it's even getting our attention. For me, it all started with a sunflower. And if you know me, you know I love them. They're my favorite flower. They're cheery-looking. They're happy um, I sort of picture them as like, you know, hello, I'm looking at you, I'm, I'm happy, and um, I call them a smile from God. That's why um, they're so important to me, and I will come back to that later. And then just over a year ago, the second part of it, I, um, I bought a house, and even that story is a whole miracle after miracle. I can tell you that another time if you'd like to hear it, but... Uh, it's a bi-level, and it's exactly what I wanted. I wanted some more space. I wanted a place where um, my parents, who f- are from out of town, um, can come and be comfortable. They have some mobility issues. So um, a place where I could have guests, and they would have some privacy. And being a bi-level, it has a basement. And in that area is a bedroom, a washroom, and even a family room area, an area, they even get the, the fireplace. Um, and I'll come back to that later as well. So here's where God really got my attention. My dear, dear friends, Bob and Beth. We were in Canmore on Easter weekend. I was supposed to go with my parents to our timeshare there. And they ended up getting COVID, so they couldn't come. So I said, well, I'm still going because... And they're like, you don't want to go by yourself. I'm like, I'm by myself all the time. This is not anything new. Um, and then I chatted with Bob and Beth, and they just happened to be there the same weekend. So I was with them one evening. And Beth, if you've had any conversations with her, uh, she will immediately... Uh, jump into uh, what her heart is so passionate about, and Bob as well, with Refugee Bridge, with settling refugees, and now how as God has sort of switched their focus and now actually switched it back, but bringing people from the Ukraine and giving them a safe place to be. So she was just sharing her heart. That's, that's really all she was doing. She, we were just chatting. We were sitting on the couch. I think Bob was doing something on his computer. And um, she just was talking about 
some little sort of challenges that she's coming up against in hosting some single ladies from the Ukraine. And I remember, like, my ears sort of perked up, like, what? What? And I don't know why I didn't think of this. I'm a single person. Why didn't I think that some of these 15 families would be single people? It, it's kind of odd to me that I never even, that never even crossed my mind. And I remember our conversation just continued on. And then I believe it's God's push on Beth's heart to speak the words that she's supposed to speak and ask the questions she's supposed to ask. And I remember her just saying, would you consider hosting a single person in your home? And immediately my heart just, ah, like I wanted to just jump up and say, yes. But I knew um, from past experience, sometimes I like to rush ahead. I'm a doer. I'm a teacher. I'm organized. I'm, let's go. Um, I want to help, and I knew that I needed to wait, and so we decided that I would just think about it and pray about it, and uh, I wanted to ask my support system, which Bob and Beth are those people, so clearly they knew, but that night I went back to my, the condo I was staying at, and <laughs> I texted my friends and my parents and just said, this is what I'm thinking of doing. What do you think? Like, just please pray for, like, clear direction for me. And within seconds, these texts are coming back at me. And even through the night and into the morning. And it was a resounding, absolutely, yes. You're made for this. You're, your home is perfect for this. You've got a great setup for this. You, you'll love and care for them. You'll do a great job, Lorraine. But the one response that really got my attention was this. And... One of my, um, sort of a new friend that I'm kind of building a deeper relationship, she said, God has prepared you for this. And that just hit me like a ton of bricks and still even kind of gives me the chills because it made me realize that this has all been in the making long before I was even aware of it. I woke up the next morning super early, which if you know me is not the case, And I just felt this overwhelming sense of confidence of, yes, yes. Even though I don't know all the answers and I don't know all the details, and sometimes that drives me crazy, (laughs) but I just need to say yes. And a few hours later, I had a really significant conversation with basically a complete stranger. That's another huge, long story I can tell you. But she... um, she heard me talk about how I was going to say yes to this and host these single ladies in my home. And she said, Lorraine, just open your home and open your hands and God will do the rest. And I know that was God using her, almost a complete stranger, to confirm my decision. That, to me, is a God wink. (laughs) And I've taken her words and I've kind of tweaked them and just said, open heart, open hands. I think you may have even heard Beth say that last week. So here's where I get back to the sunflowers. In my home, in the basement, that place I was talking about, that place of privacy, that's where my dear sisters, Oksana and Victoria, will have their rooms. It's the place and the space where they can have some privacy and maybe some quiet when they need it. 
And God has orchestrated that purchase of that house, even knowing that I would be hosting these ladies someday. That's a God wink to me. And the art that's in that area is sunflowers. <laughs> Did you know sunflowers are the, natu- na- the national sunflower? Oh, now I'm getting tongue-tied. The artwork in that area is sunflowers, and sunflowers are the national flower of the Ukraine. That's a God wink to me. And there's stories upon stories of how God has shown his heart for the Ukrainian people and his faithfulness to supply whatever is needed. And we, we, (laughs) the body of Christ, have a privilege to be part of that. And I know that my open heart and my open hands are obedience to his call. And he's going to take care of the rest. And he already is. Bob and Beth and TCC, Twilliger Community Church, that's my church family, they're supporting me to host these ladies. And so I pray, Northgate, as you discern what God wants you to do, that he will lead you to help another family more people from the Ukraine that are coming to Edmonton who need the body of Christ to love and encourage them. And the great thing is, there's so many jobs that need to happen um, to help give them a soft landing. At TCC, we gathered together a, a group of people. They just put the call out and said, okay, anybody interested in helping us support a family from the Ukraine come to this meeting? So we gathered in this room, and it was amazing as people just came and came. It was like, I remember Pastor Marnie was like, there's like 30 people. I can't believe it. And we just sat down, and she gave us kind of a, a list of the things that are important in order to be able to help these people and give them what they need. And it was really exciting just to hear the different jobs. Uh, you know, the same, many hands make light work. So some of the jobs are meeting them at the airport, welcoming them, finding interpreters, supporting them, transporting them from host homes to Hope Mission to anywhere else they need to go, finding future housing for them, collecting donations to furnish a home, and then moving those donations into the home and setting the home up, stocking it with groceries, assisting them with banking and finances, not my area, getting them set up with health care and, and SIN cards and identification and putting together a resume so they can apply for a job, assisting them with finding schools and, and child care. Maybe it's helping them find a counselor if they've got trauma. Maybe showing them some recreational community areas where they can have some fun as a family together. Maybe it's walking them through the grocery store and this is our bread, this is our, I don't know, (laughs) simple things like that. Or maybe it's contributing financially. But most important, it's definitely praying. So as you continue to seek God and his discernment and in his timing and just at the right moment, I know God will show you what part that you can play And I think it's going to excite you because it has excited me. Um, The interesting thing is I'm still waiting (laughs) um, 
one of the ladies could come a couple weeks ago, and yet she's still not here. And that's okay. That's God's timing, not mine. But I'm sure excited when she comes. And I just pray that as God uh, leads her to come when the right time um, happens, that I will just have that open heart and those open hands.
We thank you for these opportunities. We thank you for moms. Uh, Lord, as we celebrate this Mother's Day, we realize that family was your idea from the beginning. You created man, you created woman, and in doing so, you created the family as the foundation and the, the building block of our society. And Lord, we rejoice in, in the moms and just the women, those godly women in our lives who mean just so much. We pray that, Lord, they would be blessed on this day. Uh, we thank you for Refugee Bridge and the incredible ministry they have of, of resettling families uh, who are fleeing from war and, and from persecution. And Lord, as we look at our own church's opportunity, we pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment as we, as we move forward uh, and say, what can we do uh, just to help? Uh, Lord, we pray for um, Madeline today, who we've realized that she has experienced loss and a lot of it lately. So Lord, as she lost her brothers in short order here, Lord, we just pray for comfort uh, for her, that, Lord, you would be close to her in her grief, and that, Lord, um, that her hope would, would be strong as she, she remembers the hope that we have in you. Uh, Lord, we pray for the kids that we are about to dismiss. Lord, they are a blessing to us. Uh, and, Lord, we just pray that they would have a wonderful time. We pray for Mark as he comes forward to, to lead us in the word, that you would, Lord, give him the words to preach the words to encourage, the words to comfort, the words to convict, the words to bless us this morning. And Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your faithfulness to this church uh, through the giving of, of the saints here. Uh, and Lord, we just uh, pray that we would be blessed in our time together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're welcome, Carol. Kids, you can be dismissed if you would like to make your way to Sunday school. morning church. It's, it's an honor for me to be here today with you to be able to share the word of God on this wonderful day, Mother's Day. <clears throat> so happy Mother's Day to you. And uh, I promise I won't be preaching from uh, Proverbs 31. And all the ladies said, amen. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> We were teasing about that, you know, as soon as you say Mother's Day, preach from Psalm or Proverbs 31, and all the women go, oh. <laughs> take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Ruth. <clears throat> How much do you think you really learned from your mothers? Quite a bit, probably, right? I'm sure you'd say, oh, I learned tons from my mother. Listen to these phrases quoted from people talking about their mothers, and see if you recognize any of them as good lessons. Our mothers taught us to appreciate a job well done when she said, 
If you're going to kill one another, I hope you go outside because I just finished cleaning. <laughs> right? Lesson. Appreciation of job well done. <clears throat> Our mothers taught us religion when they said, you better pray that'll come out of the carpet. <laughs> All right? Uh, our mothers taught us logic when, he sh- when she said, because I said so. Our mothers taught us foresight when she said, make sure you wear clean underwear in case you're in an accident. Have you heard that one? Our mothers taught us contortionism when she said, will you look at the dirt on the back of your neck, right? I mean, like, (laughs) and our mothers taught us stamina when she said, you're going to sit there until you eat every last bit of that spinach, right? Stamina. Our mothers taught us anticipation when when she said, just wait till you get home. And our mothers taught us osmosis when they said, shut your mouth and eat your supper. (laughs) Well, maybe those uh, little sayings make uh, mothers out to sound a little bit like cranks. And that's certainly not the case at all. And that's not, that's not right. You've heard the saying, behind every successful man is a great woman. I'd like to kind of switch that up a little bit and say, behind successful children is a great mother. For example, I think of the significance that when Paul exhorts Timothy to godly living, who did he talk about? He talked about Timothy's mother's Lois as an example. And when the Bible talks about the dedication of Samuel to God's service, the the Bible focuses on his mother's prayer in the temple who said, Hannah said, I'm going to give him back to you. And I'm sure that after, after Moses' mother took care of Moses for three years and then, and then placed him into the hands of Pharaoh's daughter, that behind the scenes was Moses' mother praying for him that he would be a godly young man. You see, mothers are a special tool in the hands of God. And God uses mothers in a very special way to be an example of godly living, but, but not just mothers. Dads, too, and grandparents, and uncles, and aunts. To give you an example of what we're talking about, the Old Testament just happens to use a godly woman by the name of Ruth, a woman whom we can, we can learn much about in terms of what it means to live a godly life. The events of Ruth take place during the times of Judges. A time when the Bible says every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's the time that they lived in. For the most part, God's people had conquered the promised land. But the foreign influence still left the land. Uh, we, the, the people weakened and, 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 and both physically and politically. And, and the result was a constant tribal jealousy and friction. But the story of Ruth shows us a very different side of life during that turbulent time. I'm sure they'll get this sound figured out in a minute, right? It's a little, quite a bit of feedback down where I'm standing. The story of Ruth shows us a, a very different side of life. And we, we read about um, this God-fearing family who lived in Bethlehem, 
during a time of famine. And like, like everyone there, they were, they were a family who were simply trying to uh, get through life. They were trying to feed their family. They were trying to pay the rent. They were trying to uh, just raise their kids in a godly kind of a way. And they were concerned just like so many people today are concerned. Times haven't changed very much, have they? We're concerned about the same kinds of things, uh, living a godly life, uh, raising our families, uh, paying the rent, uh, putting food on the table. And so we come to this book of Ruth and we, we read in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem of Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife had two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mahalon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the county, country of Moab and remained there. Now, I, I don't think that this was meant to be a permanent living place for them. They had moved to Moab because there was a famine in the land and they were going to be returning and, and they planned on coming back to Bethlehem after the famine was over. But something unexpected happened in verse 3. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. Now, I'm sure that you can identify with the reality that, that many times you're just going through life and you're just trying to make a living and you're, you're trying to do the best you can and boom, something unexpected happens to you. Somebody dies. You get cancer. You get sick. You lose your job. When something happens to one of the children, boom, something happens and, and it's unexpected and unwelcomed and that's where Naomi found herself. But for Naomi, things went from bad to worse. It was like she jumped out of the frying pan right into the fire. Verse four, these took Moabite wives. Who are these? Her two sons. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. Now, Naomi has lost her entire family. Um, and now, and now they, they, have, they have a mother who is alone. They, the, the boys have passed on, verse 5. And both Mahalon and Chilion died. And so now they're without, she's without her two sons, and her husband, and she's got these Moabite daughters-in-law. What is she going to do? And now the story of a mother becomes very, very real of a woman who shows us some vital lessons of godly living in the midst of a very difficult situation. And I'm sure that many of us can relate to her story. She teaches us where to turn in times of trouble. <clears throat> Verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard 
in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. It's important to know when tragedy happens, where to turn. Where do you turn when the unexpected happens? Some commentators suggest that Elimelech was actually out of the will of God by moving his family to Moab. Because he should have stayed in Bethlehem and he should have believed in and trusted in God that he would take care of them. And I happen to believe that that's probably true. And it's probably one of the reasons that led to him losing his life. One of the reasons Israel was in the situation that they found themselves in was because they so often disobeyed the commands of God and they refused to depend upon him. It reminds me, you know, of when Abram was called out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Remember the story? And God said, I want you to go to the promised land, a promise, a land I promised you where you're going to have a family and a great nation is going to happen. And, and so Abram, not knowing God, he was a pagan in Ur. He, he rose and he listened to the voice of God. It's an amazing story. And God provides him with a roadmap to go. He had no reason to even know where he was going. And he trusted God and God provided for him. And he gets to the land and what did he find in the land? A famine was in the land. You would think, oh, God's going to take care of me. He's taken care of me through the desert and on my trip and on the way and I'm here. And, but no, he didn't listen to God. And, and he turns and he goes down to Egypt shouldn't have done that. It was out of the will of God. God didn't tell him to go to Egypt. God never affirmed his decision to go to Egypt. He got caught in a lie about his wife saying that she was his sister. Well, it was kind of a half truth, half lie. She was his half sister. And then Pharaoh find out, finds out, rebukes Abram, and Abraham, Abram leaves the country with his tail between his legs. But on the way out, he takes with him a concubine by the name of Hagar. And Hagar became a stumbling block to him the rest of his life. Because through Hagar, they had a child whose name was Ishmael. And Ishmael didn't get along with, uh, Hagar didn't get along with Sarah. And Ishmael didn't get along with Isaac. They ended up having to leave, leave. They kicked him out. It was a horrible mess. Why? Because he didn't listen to God. He was out of the will of God. He didn't focus his attention where he should have focused it. In the same way, Elimelech made a decision about he and his family that I believe cost him his life. But that decision not only affected him, it affected his entire family. His two sons ended up marrying Moabite women. Well, that wasn't right. That was contrary to the will of God. Deuteronomy 23.3 says, No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. And I believe it was their marriage to these Moabite women that cost them their lives. And so here was a mother who never let her heart wander too far from the land of her God. And even though she found herself living in a foreign land in a very difficult situation, 
facing circumstances which were contrary to the will of God, she always kept her heart and her focus on the land of her God. And finally, in verse 6, it says that she heard in the fields of the Moabite. In other words, apparently she was working the fields. And somehow there was a rumor that God was blessing her land. How did she hear that? Why did she just happen to hear that? It's because her ears were always attuned to the voice of the Lord. She was always in tune with what God was doing. And for that reason, now she knew where to turn for refuge in the midst of her tragedy. And so we read in verse 7. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Have you ever been in a place where you didn't even have to think about what to do next? You just kind of did it habitually. Your child wanders too close to the edge. And what do you do? You habitually reach out and pull them back. Don't you? It's like implanted in your head. Just reach out. One time we were at a swimming pool and uh, our, our third son was, was uh, just, you know, still a baby. And I was bobbing him up and down, you know, in the swimming pool. And he was hanging on to the, 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 the stairs of the swimming pool. And, and I let go for a minute because he was having fun. And all of a sudden he let go. And he sunk like a rock. I mean, boom, he was at the bottom. And it was shallow enough that, that I looked and I thought, whoa, he's at the bottom of the pool, you know? And I didn't leave him there, right? I just like, the parents, mine, I just reached down and pulled him up. He wasn't there very long, by the way. <laughs> I promise I didn't go, huh, what should I do? I just lift him up. Hey, mom, should I, you know, he's at the, no. I reached down and I pulled him up. Isn't that what we do? We see somebody floundering in water and so often we'll hear about those stories of people jumping in and, 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 and rescuing them from danger. People run into a, 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 a building, a fire. What, we, why do we do that stuff? It's because it's innate in us. It's, it's inbred. It's, it's we've, we've learned. We've listened. That's where Naomi is. She's... It's in her to listen to the voice of God because her mind, her heart was attuned to him. And so she got up when she heard that God was blessing her land, packed her bags. She didn't need to stop and think about it. She didn't need to pray about it. She already was listening to the voice of God she didn't need to ask her neighbors, hey, what do you think? Should No, she just packed her bags and said, I'm going home. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit gives us the mind of Christ. And it's because of that that we have the a natural spiritual ability to discern things, whether they be right or whether they be wrong. And we do it instinctively. No, that's right. No, that's wrong. And we make the right decision because of the mind of Christ that we have. In verse 7, when it talks about her returning, that word return is a key word in the book of Ruth. 
It's an illustration, actually, of repentance. You see, Naomi reverses the the, the direction that she and her husband had taken, and she turns away from Moab, and she turns toward God. She heads home, and Naomi becomes a catalyst for change in her family and a catalyst for change in history as you'll find Boaz, the man who took Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth, as his wife, listed in the priestly line of David and was a descendant of Jesus. You see, Mom, you see, Dad, you see, Grandpa, Grandma, Aunt, Uncle, your godly influence gives God the opportunity to do things that he would not ordinarily have the opportunity to do. He uses you to bring about that which he desires to bring about. Listen to this story. John Newton is the author of one of the greatest hymns of all of the Christian faith, Amazing Grace. He was born in London, July 24th, 1725, to a pious Christian woman, and the commander of a merchant ship which sailed the Mediterranean. In July of 1732, 13 days before his 17th birthday, death took his saintly mother, who had, since his third birthday, been his teacher and friend. He was, he was left with only the memory of a godly mother and her Christian teaching. When John was 11... He went to sea, and it was not long before he was wholly involved in ungodly vices of seamen. As one author put it, he became a dissipated sailor. He followed his ungodly path for many years, but finally the memory of his mother brought him to himself. He remembered her Christian teaching, her godly life, and considered his ungodly lifestyle and his wretched life. The recollection of his mother prompted him to again seek Christ. He searched the slave ship for a Bible or some other book about Christ and found the story Imitations of Christ by Thomas Kempis. This book sowed the seeds of his conversion. On May 10, 1748, when the ship nearly sunk in a violent storm, he trusted Christ as his personal Savior. As a result of his mother's influence, a stream of boundless influence flowed forward through the world. Now listen to this. John Newton became a preacher of the gospel. One of the people that he led to the Lord was named Claudius Birchman. Birchman went on to be a missionary in India. No doubt many people have never heard the name Claudius Birchman. But God mightily used a book that this Englishman wrote, The Star of the East, to motivate an American to become the pioneer of American foreign missions. The man that the book that he that that she he read was written by Birchman, and the book motivated a man by Adoniram Judson who became a missionary in Burma, the first 
American foreign missionary. Newton led Thomas Scott to Christ. Scott became a preacher and the author of the famous Scott's Commentary on the Bible. Reverend Scott pointed despondent attorney and harp player William Cowper to, to the Christ of the Bible through the reading of Romans 3.25, and Cowper was saved. Not long after his conversion, he penned one of the greatest hymns of the faith, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. William Cowper was used of the Lord to write many great Christian hymns, but he also wrote other poetry, including an anti-slavery poem, which had a mighty impact on a short and sickly little Englishman by the name of William Wilberforce. He became a powerful English statesman, and through his efforts, slavery was ultimately abolished in England. Wilberforce was a dedicated Christian as well. He wrote a book called A Practical View of the Prevailing Religious System of Professed Christians Contrasted with Real Christianity. Now there's a title. The book was instrumental in bringing Lee Richmond to Christ. Reverend Lee Richmond is the author of the once popular Christian children's book, The Dairyman's Daughter. Between 1813 and 1820, there were 22 editions of this book printed in America. The book was used of the Lord to bring about the salvation of thousands. You see, undergirding this great chain of events stands the influence of John Newton's godly mother. It's the prayer of many mothers and many others that has changed the course literally of families and of history. Never, never underestimate the power of your godly influence. Naomi knew where to turn in times of troubles because she never lost sight of her God. And she did what she instinctively knew was the right thing to do for her family. The story also teaches us to put our faith in God's sovereignty. Now, when Naomi decided to go back to Bethlehem, she advised her two daughters-in-law to go back to their home. Her thinking was that they could find a Moabite man and raise a family and live out the rest of their life. And, and, and that's what verses 8 and 9 are talking about. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant that you may find rest, each, in you, each of you, in the house of your husband. And, and so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And so Naomi, she's encouraging them to go home. Now, one of the daughters-in-law, she said, no, 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 I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back with you. They wept on her, her shoulder, and, and the other one, la Oprah, laughed, and then, and then here's Ruth and Naomi. And Naomi's going, what's the big deal? You know, just go home. Ruth goes, no, no, I'm going to Bethlehem. Verse 17, 
She says, where you die, I die. And there I'll be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also of anything, but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Naomi and her daughter-in-law, they go home and it's an interesting reaction that happens. Uh, we, we read that the two of them went on until verse 18, they came, 19, they came to Bethlehem and they came to Bethlehem and, the, and look at this, the whole town was stirred because of them. They were all stirred, Why? The women said, is this Naomi? Well, from, from the reactions of the people when they arrived in town, you, you could tell that something was different. I mean, they're looking at Naomi and they're going, is, is, that, is that Naomi? The one who left 10 years ago? Is, is, is that the same late? Maybe you've, maybe you've met somebody that you hadn't seen for years and, and you kind of go, is, I, is that you? Like, you, you don't say it out loud, but you think it in your mind, right? Because, and then you begin to hear their story. And you realize the toll that life has had on them. And you see the wrinkles and you see the furrowed brow. And, and you see the slump in their body because life has taken a toll on them. And that's what's happening here. And, and they were stirred by what they said. And, and I'm sure that I'm sure that when they left Bethlehem, they said to all their friends and their neighbors, farewell, we'll see you soon. We'll be back. But now 10 years later, the strain and the affliction has taken its toll. Is this Naomi? She responds to them in verse 20. Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with, bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? The name Naomi means sweetness, pleasantness. Whereas the word Mara means bitter. In other words, she said, when I left Bethlehem, I was full of life. I was sweet, I was pleasant, I, had, I was happy. I had everything in life that I thought made my life full. And we were going to a new adventure. We were going to a new land, a new place where we thought there was gonna be a fullness and, and we were gonna come back prosperous, but now I'm coming back empty of all of those things. And what I want you to notice in her speech is the phrase in verse 20. Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And then the phrase in verse 21, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. She's obviously not too happy about the way the Lord has treated her. In fact, she seems to be complaining a bit about it. And yet, I want you to notice that in the midst of her bitterness, she calls God by the name Almighty. Did you pick it up? He calls, she calls him Almighty. That's 
That's in reference to God, and it's, and it's a reference to God being an almighty God. The almighty God has done this. She was, con- she was conceding to the irresistible power of God. When God determined that bitterness should come into her life, she said there was no other way. She was helpless in the, in the face of God's almighty power. But even while she's complaining, she says in verse 21, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. And I want you to notice that now she uses the name Lord and that's the covenant name of God. The covenant name of God. In other words, although she was suffering the bitterness of God's hand and although this was anything but pleasant to her, she still recognized God as the covenant God. The God who made a promise to keep and to bless his people. The God who will never break his promises. And here's the point. She left Bethlehem with all those things in life she thought would make her happy and full. But although it caused pain and bitterness to lose all those things, and although there was genuineness genuine emptiness left in her life, she still clung to the covenant God. She was able to say, I'm empty and I'm bitter, but God is still on the throne. He's still the God who promises. He's the God who fills what is empty. Her words remind me of the apostle Paul's words over in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, when he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have never learned, for I have learned that in whatever situation I am in, I am, I am content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You see, times of hardship that come into our life are, are never easy. They're never fun. We never invite them. Sometimes they leave bitterness. Sometimes they leave scars. Sometimes they leave us empty of what we thought might make us happy. But although Naomi was bitter and empty, she still put her faith in the almighty, all-powerful, sovereign, covenant-keeping God. You see, God doesn't ask us to understand the circumstances he puts us in. He simply asks us to trust him. Oh, in time we might understand. But what he really wants for us is to simply trust him based upon his word for who he says he is. Because the same God who empties us is the God who can fill us. And the God who allows bitterness is the same God who can bring us joy. And again, remember that Naomi's daughters in law, daughter-in-law is of the, of the lineage of King David, therefore in the line of Jesus Christ. And so in God's sovereign purpose, Ruth became a part of God's worldwide redemptive plan for mankind. And he used that tragic circumstance in Naomi's life to do it. Who knows what God is planning to use 
to affect the world for him. It could be you. And so keep trusting and keep praying and keep listening. Be attuned to the voice of God. And if, like Naomi, you're feeling that God has dealt bitterly toward you, take heart. He's still your covenant God. He's still a God who keeps his promises. He eventually will fill what is empty. And so bring it all to him and lay your burdens at the cross and let him be your almighty God. And thank you, praying mothers. You're making a difference. Even if you might not see it today. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful that you've given us this story of a godly mother, a godly mother, and other godly mothers we've talked about today, and mothers and fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers and aunts and uncles who are making a difference today because they keep their heart and their eyes attuned to you. And even in the midst of their tragic circumstances, perhaps, they trust in a promise-keeping God. And they can bring honor and glory to you and make a difference for generations to come because they've put their trust in you. May that be so of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please rise as we sing one more song.